Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Twelve, saggy pants string and creativity. Neat writers craft their first four or five stories by mimicking their reader experience, opening the story, following a character from the beginning to the end of the conflict, and closing with a good feeling. As they work to complete these first manuscript, they devote their energies to the exciting scenes and skip the boring parts, the bridges between. When newbies take the wannabe path, they model the writing on films and stories that they liked. They fill pages with descriptions and actions and dialogue based on other writers' characters and stories. It's fan fiction, whether they share it or keep it to themselves. Modeling is a tried and true method for new writers to improve their skills. It does work. Some wannabes never move past the modeling stage. They're content with fan fiction, and that's their choice. We can do what we want with our own writing. No one is dictating to us. Our path is our own, no one else's. If someone tries to tell you what to do with your writing, tell them where to get off your train. Modeling is a learning step, learning how other professionals craft their characters and plots and exposition details is a crucial step. Modeling, however, only takes a writer part way. The important step after modeling, the one that gonna be writers have to learn is this, generating original story ideas. Growth depends on accepting challenges. The first challenge is improving your writing. The second challenge is reading widely to learn from the masters. The third challenge is stepping beyond the model to tell your own story. Creating your own world, peopling it, and driving those characters through a conflict, that's a rewarding challenge. Now, in the millennia since storytelling began, around the campfire tales after the day's hunt to the coffee shop discussions about artificial electronic books, we really have nothing new to learn just new twist on classic stories. Even non-linear plot, like Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, is an innovation on the style Homer used in the Iliad. New characters are spins on archetypes. New storylines fit into one of the seven types of plots. The progress of the plot follows a handful of structures. Creativity comes not with these. Creativity comes in unique spins on the classic. Creative growth is accepting the challenge to innovate with the classic characters and plots, themes and motifs, drives and urges and angst. Innovation and elaboration. These create a newness to story. Look at J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Analyze any part of the series. As a longtime eclectic reader, you quickly discover that she mined mythologies and archetypal events and details. Her combination of these with an orphaned chosen one protagonist encountering engaging allies, juxtaposed mentors, and challenging antagonists, physical, mental, and emotional ones, 
created the newness. Her writing communicated the story easily. Accessibility is the key to reaching a large marketplace. Great marketing did the rest. None of J.K. Rowling's details are new. Her creativity is in her combination, communication, and appeal. If the story's not new, and characters aren't new, and the situations aren't new, only the newest tech is new until it's obsolete, then what is new? That answer is coming up. Thirteen, creativity leads to saggy pants during. Creativity is newness. Actually, new is the wrong word. Creativity is freshness. Merriam-Webster, my go-to dictionary, failed me. Its definition of creativity is the ability to create. Merriam-Webster's thesaurus says the skill and imagination to create new things. Alrighty then, those aren't helpful. Let's try dictionary.com. Creativity, the ability to transcend traditional ideas, rules, patterns, relationships, or the like, and to create new ideas, forms, methods, interpretations, etc., originality, progressiveness, or imagination. In practice, creativity is these three things, invention of something completely new, a completely new invention is rare. Combination of several known traditional elements into an unexpected new. This is innovation, a la J.K. Rowling and Quentin Tarantino. Elaboration of details of the known or traditional in unusual ways. Elaboration is ornamentation. So, what does this have to do with pantsering and not planning? Unless you, as the writer, spend time mulling over how to freshen your story, how to twist the known into a new combination, how to bring something new onto the page, then the common, traditional forms of characters, plot, situation, and more will be mere repetition of ancient patterns. That's the downfall of pantsering. You can write a story without a plan, develop characters on the fly, and build situations and worlds from scratch. That's not hard. Adding creativity? Ouch. Creativity, freshness, requires thought. Pastors claim they don't plan so the creative muse can speak to them, and that's true. Overplotting can kill a story. Creativity, however, is not planless. Creatives have to plan. They look at what's needed, then start cogitating, twisting ideas around, developing new. Spend hours, days, longer considering your new invention, combination, or elaboration. You need not write them down. Any thought that you put into your consideration, recorded or not, is still planning. You may dictate, create a board with images, keep the whole story in your head. You're still planning. And that's saggy pants string. You've got ideas. Form doesn't matter. List, images, sketch, words. You're planning. You avoid outlines and anything that looks official. The unofficial, still planning. Saggy pantsering is a successful form of writing. Revision will be necessary. The uncontrolled mess that is pure pantsering, however, you have avoided. Pure pantsering throws everything in. The protagonist changes. The antagonist changes. Several scenes may have three or six or ten versions. 
More scenes may be unrelated. No tagline or theme focuses the story. Along the writing journey, writers can fall into the rabbit hole of pure pastoring. They won't find themselves in Wonderland. Nope, they're in a warren with a mad prophet screaming riddles they don't understand and bunnies hopping off in every direction, the leader lost or non-existent. Escape the warren. Do a little planning before you launch into a story. Invent something new. Combine the traditional into a new innovation. Elaborate in unusual ways. Give the ode a fresh spin, as Richard Adams did with Watership Down. The practice of creativity leads to more creativity. Creative thoughts breed like bunnies. You can drop them into Wonderland or the Warren. Stories are the result. Next up is a step back, the zig and zag of handling long-term projects. Fourteen, zig and zag. Writing behavior determines our approach to the mass of story, roots, trunk, branches, leaves. We can plot our pants, a woefully inadequate word, but someone won the, the alliterative P and it stuck. Or puzzle it out. As you draft your manuscript, you can use a chronological or linear process or be scattered or global. Tracking daily word counts and project progress helps overcome the intimidating writing discipline as well as imposter syndrome. Discipline is the third thing that writers need to understand about themselves. The daily habit of writing is easily broken. Writers battle disruptions and distractions. Procrastination whispers that we can resume it later. Choosing to become a writer who writes daily, having a steadily climbing word count that will finish projects, means that we encounter days when the writing is more coercion than choice. Let's admit that up front immediately. Writer can be drudgery rather than fiery inspiration. All of the words of the scenes and the sequels, Dwight Swain terms, must be completed to finish the manuscript. Every story has cringe-worthy moments. Readers can skim or skip those. Writers slave through every word. Once we know the end of the story, we want to move to the next shiny, bright thing. Daily, hourly, we are lured away from writing. With those of us writing on the side, other people and work and stress and chores and errands and weariness and swearingness and needed exercise will break the daily commitment. Skip a day or two or three, and soon we've skipped an entire week. How does that happen, we ask? And then it happens the next week and the next. The daily habit rapidly falls apart, melting links in a chain we thought was strong iron, but actually was merely hard-frozen glacier ice. Add heat, add neglect, and the links dissolve. Commitment helps overcome the lures. We have to climb back into our writing chairs and write the first scene, then the next, and the third, and the fourth, onto the completion of a paragraph, a page, a scene, a chapter. When we don't write the next sentence, and the next, and then the next, we start looking for something to blame. Some writers blame writer's block. It's haunting me, they cry. I'm going to offend many writers here. Writer's block doesn't exist. Fact. Research all the professionals who support this statement. Want to escape any block? Put bum in chair and write a sentence, and the next, then the next. We can write. 
We can text, send emails, post on social media. That's writing, folks. We might not feel like it. We may have lost interest in the story we need to tell. We're not blocked, however. In M.A. Lee's Guidebook for Writers, Think Like a Pro, she devotes an entire chapter to the fallback claim of writer's block. That problem is actually one of three. Writer's refusal, we don't want to do what we should be doing. Writer's procrastination, this stifling obstacle is born in fear or failure or of judgment. Writer's inertia, boredom or depression and stagnation. Inertia can be a true monster. In Think Like a Pro are several methods to diagnose the problem as well as the solutions to overcome it. One way is to zig off to a new project. To prevent the drudgery that drives us out of our writing chair, we can zig off to another project. I mentioned this solution back in section 11. Having an alternate project maintains the daily writing. It gives a break or two or three when the creative muse needs to work behind the scenes. Whenever you cast away from the primary project, you risk dropping it entirely. The key to a zig-off is to return to the primary when the bright, shiny new has served its purpose. Remember, as long as you are producing, no time is ever wasted. Novels and long-term projects have many stages. We move from sketched ideas to shaped scenes onto the drafted manuscript, which we then revise and proof before prepping for publishing. Each of those stages requires different skills. In ideas, we develop situations, characters, tagline or themes, plot stream, and world building. We then shape the plot stream, building each up to fulfill our vision of the story arc. The draft is the long slog, the most enjoyable yet frustrating part of the story. We reach 23 chapters of a 35-chapter novel, and we want to abandon the whole thing. When that 24th chapter is driving you mad, you can always zig off to work on your blurb, also called market copy or back cover copy. You can refine the tagline, which can turn into an all-day slog with less than 20 words when you're finished. You can sketch ideas for the next project. Remember, though, to zag back to the primary project. Don't chatter words on the primary project. Writing into the muck will weaken the creative muse. Consider the overall plan and the last session's jot list. Keep everything fresh. Take breaks, especially if you need to break from a project. Then zag back and pick up where you left off. Remind yourself of the incremental achievement of each stage by using progress meters. Celebrate each stage's completion. The major celebration, fireworks and all, occurs when you launch the book into the world whether that is self-publishing or sending to an editor or an agent. Daily words are also incremental achievements. When you have a weekly word account to achieve and to celebrate, then your sense of accomplishment helps you overcome the drudgery and helps you defeat the seductive lures that entice you away from your writing chair. The word count itself is a zigzag plan. Once you're writing regularly, you know how many words you can achieve reasonably. Multiply that daily average by five or six with only one day off for creative recharging or the weekly word count. This is the zig. The zag happens when interruptions occur, and they will occur no matter what you plan. When I don't achieve my base word count on Tuesday, I work harder until I've caught up. When the whole week is destroyed, don't burden the lost words 
by throwing the missing word count into the next week. That just carries failure with you. Avoid that baggage and start the next week with the original word count. Glory days do occur. When I go over my word count, those are bonus words. Enjoy them. Don't apply them backwards or forwards. They can count to help a destroyed day within a week. Past or future calculations don't come into play. Zigging and zagging helps cross the minefield with its snarls of barbed wires, obstacles, underground disruptions exploding around you, and mucky drudgery that you have to crawl through. Be a good writing soldier. Maintain your daily discipline. Progress the projects. Switch up your drafting process when you encounter walls. Be willing to transform your writing behavior and achieve your goal of writing interesting books. 15. Ever-expanding. One of the essentials when you want to be a daily writer of stories is to keep moving, adapting, dancing. Disruptions and distractions are easy to blame and shrug off. Losing track of daily writing is another. You don't want to break that habit. What do we do, though, when the story is ever-expanding? What does ever-expanding mean? Here are the symptoms. The writing is growing great. You love everything but characters and events insert themselves into the story unexpectedly. You planned 25 chapters, and you've blown past to reach 30 with more to come. Your 15,000 words and counting over your projected word count. And everything planned after this story is now thrown off schedule by the ever-expanding current story. You don't want to cut the book prematurely. Great things are happening. The muse is dancing, not dashing away. All the scenes are connected and depend upon each other. Devious twists are occurring. What to do? Actually, there's not really a lot that you can do. Just keep drafting and typing and working for the end. That book might turn into a two-parter or a prequel with an actual original planned book. When everything's connected, however, you can't really divide things out, at least I don't like to read divided up stories. I'm not much for cliffhangers, and I'm really unhappy when I realize that the book I'm seven chapters into actually started in a previous book. Reader experience is a key element of the decision of whether to divide the story. I'm working to finish a book that should have come out in June, 45 days ago. That's a wow. Deadline completely blown. If I were in traditional publishing, this would be a huge problem. I'm self-published. I can let the creative muse play. Does blowing my deadline mean that I'm a failure? Oh, heavens no. All it means is that the story took hold and demanded much more than I originally planned. I'm really happy with this novel. A schedule only helps us look forward to the next bright shiny. That's an important writing tip. In my previous existence, I lived for weekends and holidays. Now, every day seems like the weekend and a holiday. I don't need a zig and zag. Words are pouring out. And story is expanding more and more. First, the cute meat trope turned into dangerous events with a press gang, human trafficking, and street urchins. Then the murder mystery turned into a murder plus a double attempted murder plus a contemplated murder, followed by a second actual murder. And none of those are connected to the poisoning. Originally, the story was going to be 50,000 words, then the press gang took over, 
The street urchins became snippy little allies. I backed up the publication date to July 15, then July 30, then August 15. It didn't make that publication date either. The story kept plugging along. I remained happy with it. The impish muse kept dancing around a tree, throwing falling fruit almost faster than I could catch it. I did my job while I tried to avoid distractions, and summer is full of distractions. As for those 50,000 words, I hit the mark of 50,000 words when I started typing chapter 16 on July 26. The rough draft was in chapter 23 at that point, with a best guesstimate of 58,000 words for the word count. I distinguished between my rough draft and my typing draft, the second much more cleaned up than the first. I typed to 60,000 words on August 6. On Saturday, August 10, I closed off the laptop at 68,817 words in Chapter 20. Mid-August, I drafted Chapter 27 with more still to come. The book topped out at close to 110,000 words with 30-plus chapters. Finishing the last chapter didn't finish my work. I still had proof before publishing. That book reached twice its expected length. Publication occurred on September 2. This ever-expanding novel also happened the previous year, with another book over 30,000 more than planned. As a writer, am I scared about my schedule and the time taken up by that novel? By either one of those novels? Nope. I relish each revealed scene, especially with the additions from that impish muse, and that's what matters. 31. Traveling through hell to reach heaven. Dante Alighieri took the circuitous route traveling to heaven, venturing through a dark wood, Silva Obscura, to the gates of hell and descending through each level. He encountered whirlwinds and fiery furnaces before traversing the icy abyss and climbing out into Purgatorio. He navigated that to reach the spheres of heaven, and Dante called his journey the Divine Comedy. Pursuing a writing career is a divine comedy. The whirlwinds of constant opinions and constant change can trap us in the early levels, ripping away pages of our manuscripts. The fiery furnace that timbers our writing to improve it can leave us exhausted unwilling to acquire more burn scars. Then we encounter the icy abyss, frozen out by gatekeepers who block our publishing journey. When we find a narrow gateway to publishing, we haven't achieved heaven. The iron-heavy chains of marketing and social media platforms and reviews burden us. Numerous writing sins are extra links that bind us so that we can barely drag ourselves forward. Yet we can free ourselves of those weighty links and achieve our writing heaven. To succeed, we need to visualize our writing paradiso. That vision is all that will drive us through the writing hell and purgatory. Will our streets be paved with gold? Do we seek fine mansions of fame? Are we after accolades in our various spheres? Or do we merely want to bask in the glory with constant offerings as our gifts to the great God of writing? Here's our lesson. Writing can be hell. Beginning writing as a career is far beyond writing as a hobby. In writing as a career, you view writing as a daily job that is fun. The daily discipline leads to a completed manuscript, 
in itself a hell as we handle character development and plot structures and thematic progressions and personal style and viewpoint. At some point in our writing, we fall into the fallacious hell of writer's block. If we misidentify the cause, we may not find the right cure to this psychical disease. The chief cure, however, is the acceptance that writer's block doesn't exist. Whether we're plotting, pastoring, or puzzling, we can easily fall into the fiery revision furnace. How hard is it to write the story in our heads? Extremely. We're distracted by all the things that we think will make the story better. People give suggestions, and the more we have imposter syndrome, the more we doubt ourselves and listen to them. We can also be entangled by the special little touches that our vanity claims we should add. I ruined a perfectly good story draft by reworking it to add archaic and obscure language. When I cleared that mess, I discovered character discrepancies. Then my writing style changed, for the better, resulting in another revision, five versions, the Tower of Lenage, Lenage, Green Wilder, White Sword, Green Wilder, Autumn Spells. Only in Autumn Spells did I finally achieve the story that was in my head and had been in my head for years. It took those years for me to learn the writer's three-part mantra. Serve the story, not your own ego. Write to communicate, not for vanity. Know the goal, not the fantasy. But our hell isn't over. We dream of our writing being out in the world, which means publishing. The traditional publishing world of editors and agents can freeze a writer in stasis. We can use the time of frozen immobility to learn about storycraft and writing skills, which I did. Or we can quit bouncing manuscripts back and forth. We can control our own publication destiny, which I am doing now. Life roles can freeze us for a while, too. Major life changes, marriage, babies, divorce, job changes, job firings, deaths, moves away from home, retirement, downsizing. These are life roles that can freeze our creative muse as she's halfway through our dance around the project tree. True writers will come back from the frozen abysses. We find ways around the gatekeepers who can be as vicious as Cerberus. We can recover from the life roles. We continue writing. We complete manuscripts. We improve ourselves. We dream a new reality. Once we pass those closely guarded gates out of our hellish inferno, we're not in heaven. We have another journey. We must traverse Purgatorio to achieve Paradiso. We've amused on our writing inferno. Now we venture through Purgatory in order to achieve writing heaven. Both of these sections are much more general and metaphorical. With this one, we hope to answer the constant unspoken question, is it worth it? However, once you climb up and out of writing hell, your writing life will be much happier. Keep to the commitment. I'm still writing eight years after my commitment to be a published writer of great stories. Most launching writers never make it to five years. So our lesson 32, writing purgatory and writing heaven take much longer than the newbie writer wants. Writing purgatory, 
we enter purgatory, the route to heaven with its attendant trials, with our eyes on our heavenly goal. Writing is more than words going onto the page. We have to learn editing, formatting, working with contractors like cover designers, marketing, and much more, all before we release our nurtured baby projects into the wild world. Then comes the belief that promotions are all we need to achieve our fanciful dreams of heaven. And shysters emerge, those shields who want to feed on our dream, eating our hopes bite by bite. We are burned by bad reviews. The chains imposed by others weight us down. Yet we have to persevere. Heaven awaits. No magic can release us and rescue us from purgatory. Only our own hard resolve to overcome any lingering story and writing sins. Money can't bribe our tormentors to free us. Those weighty links will only be lifted away by us. Only writing will lift those weights. Our writing, our words, daily accumulating, daily reaching for our goals. What did Neil Gaiman say? This is how you do it, writing. You sit down at the keyboard and you put one word after another until it's done. It's that easy and that hard. And this, he said, you get ideas from daydreaming. You get ideas from being bored. You get ideas all the time. The only difference between writers and other people is that we notice when we're doing it. And he said this, if you're making mistakes, it means you're out there doing something as opposed to the purgatory of doing nothing and noticing that you're doing nothing and doing nothing about noticing that you're doing nothing so that you achieve nothing. That's truly purgatory. Writing heaven. What is your writing heaven? Riches? Fame? Accolades? Bestseller status? Heaven is achievable. Dante proved it. Once we've passed through the inferno and purgatorio, paradiso awaits. Dante's heaven isn't like St. John's Revelation heaven. Your writing heaven will not match other people's. Just know that it is achievable as long as it is a dreamed reality. Keep giving to your writing space with the devotion needed for a 9-to-5 job. You need not be 24-7-365. You do need commitment, a vision, and the plan to get there. I wish you good luck, but it's not luck. Remember the mantra. Serve the story, not your own ego. Write to communicate, not for vanity. Know the goal, not the fantasy. And be happy writing. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, write on.